Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Fellowship Podcast. We hope this message will inspire, challenge, and encourage you to grow closer to Christ. If you're in the Anchorage area, we invite you to be our guest during our morning Sunday worship service at 11 a.m. For directions, or if you would like more information about us, please visit akmaranatha.com. Hey, Merry Christmas to everybody. Uh, again, it's so good to see so many of you. Good to see Joe and Leah Cosienda. And, uh, yep, Joe's mom, Diane's here as well. Good to see Tom and Kathy Steigelman right here. Good to see you guys. Bless you. Dr. Elam and his family. God bless you guys. Good to see you. Merry Christmas. Hey, um, and Miss Jeanette. So good to see you. Janine, tell me what my passage is. <laughs> it's Luke 2. It is. Anybody surprised by that? She wrote it. She didn't write it, actually. Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 14 is what we're going to look at today. And uh, the event that I want to describe to you happened uh, in Hebrew or Aramaic. It was recorded in Greek and translated into English. So here we are. And in uh, traditions, oftentimes they can be fueled by fresh insight. And so many times as we read through the story, it becomes so familiar to us that uh, we um, sometimes just let it kind of drone on without thinking through it. So I thought this morning I'd read from a different translation. This is Woost's translation. Woost's, that's hard to say, Woost's translation. And uh, his is kind of a, a fresh translation on this, and you'll see uh, some things in it as we, we read through it. Uh, starting at verse 8, and you could you could turn there in your Bible and, and kind of follow along because we will be referring back to some of these things as we, we look at uh, this, this awesome story of Christ's birth. It says in verse 8, And there were shepherds in that very region bivouacking in the fields under the open sky and guarding their flock during the appointed night watches. And an angel of the Lord took his stand at their side. And the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they feared a great fear. And the angel said to them, Stop being afraid, for behold, I'm bringing you good tidings of great joy, which joy is of such a nature that it shall pertain to all the people. Because there was born to you today a Savior who is Christ the Lord in the city of David, and this shall be an unusual and distinguishing token or of identification for you, you shall find a newborn infant which has been wrapped in cloth bands and is lying in a feeding trough. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the army of heaven praising God and saying, Glory in the highest places to God and upon earth, peace among men of goodwill. And then we hear from Luke chapter 1, prior to this moment, the promise. Uh, I don't know if any of you caught that, but... We were singing a little bit ago the Magnificat. That's Mary's prayer. Man, I am emotional today. Let's pull it together and get through this, shall we? If you guys wouldn't be stirring my emotions so much, that wouldn't happen. But uh, in Luke one fourteen, it says of Jesus that he will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. Many will rejoice because of his birth. And as we were talking about with the kids a little bit ago, not everybody rejoices at the birth of Christ. But it is, nevertheless, a cause of great joy for all people. 
first to God's people Israel, which is I think is who the angel is referencing at first, but but certainly to us as well. Here we are in Alaska, all these miles away and all these years removed and removed by language, and yet Christ still means so much to us. How many are glad that you've met Jesus and he changed your life? Aren't you glad for that? And so I want to talk about three things here today, and, and we're going to move through this quickly, I hope. The first is the moment, the moment. We, we are looking here at the coming of Christ, and the celebration of Christmas is about a moment. It's, we, we often think about what's to come in the life of Jesus, but when we talk about Christmas or we talk about the, the, uh, the incarnation, usually we're thinking of a particular moment in which God came into our world. So that's what I, I want to talk about first is that there are some things which charge this moment with power. Think about this as we go through this. First, we have the presence of the angels. We have the glorious light that uh, evidences the presence of God. We have the choice of words that are used. We have the divine irony of what the shepherds will find when they go looking for Jesus. I hope you'll see the glory in this because so often we come to the Christmas season and, and after years of celebrating it, we can lose the wonder of what it's all about, but there's still wonder to be found in this story as we look at what God has truly done. And as we reflect upon it, it ought to cause us, it ought to cause our hearts to be moved. Listen, I've been studying this all month long, and man, today I don't know why, but I'm, I'm teary-eyed about what God has done for us. The moment is spectacular. If you look through this, and you can look back in your translation now of uh, Luke chapter 2, as the angel meets with them. One of the things that he says is, is he says to them in this moment uh, today, verse 11 says that, and, and we'll go through different aspects of this, but he says to them, first of all, don't be afraid. I bring you good news, which is gospel. I gospel you with great joy is what the literal Greek says. I gospel you with great joy. I'm proclaiming to you the gospel of great joy. And he says, don't be afraid. But there's a reason for great joy, and the reason is today, because today in the city of David is born a Savior, Christ the Lord, today. Today uh, is usually a word which means to us this day, like right now, like not yesterday and not tomorrow and not weeks from now, but this day, okay? And that's how we would normally use it. Sometimes in Scripture, it's used that way. But when Luke uses it, he almost always is talking about something relating to the salvation plan. When he uses it, uh, and it's used throughout the New Testament in this day, it's talking about something related to a significant moment in God's work among us. Think about the writer to Hebrews. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Today. And so this has significant meaning as those who had come before, or what had come before was beginning to change. This signifies the dawning of the era of, the, of messianic salvation and the fulfillment of God's plan. And not only does it underscore the idea of a present fulfillment in Jesus' ministry, like today something significant's happened and Jesus is here, but it also has for the people of God the promise that we can enter into it now, the fulfillment of what God has given us. We don't have to wait to, till we get to heaven to experience the joys of our salvation. Aren't you thankful for that? That it's not like Jesus saying, you've got a ticket for heaven, I'll see you there. 
But he walks with us through the salvation process as we're going along. And I don't mean that salvation doesn't have a moment of beginning. I mean that once you become a Christian, there's a walk with God that begins. How many have found that to be glorious? I used to go to, uh, uh, with my next door neighbor to Messiah Baptist Church. And one of the things that, uh, that would happen almost every time I went is they would sing the song, Every Day with Jesus is Sweeter Than the Day Before. Anybody know that song? Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. And as a little kid, I wasn't thinking along those lines. But what I found as I become an adult who walks in relationship with Jesus is that there's a sweetness that grows over time as we walk with him in relationship. And so we enter into that now, that today of this promise is already being accessed to you and me right now. We already are accessing the fulfillment of that. You remember when Jesus came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit in Luke chapter 4, he went into the synagogue in his own hometown, and he took the scroll of Isaiah, Isaiah 61, and he read it, and it says this, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then it tells us that with everyone looking at him, he said, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. There's something significant about the word today that's introducing a new moment in salvation's plan. And so when we have this Christmas story, the original Christmas story, we hear today something new is beginning to happen with Jesus coming. And it's a reason to celebrate because if you're a Christian, it's part of your story. We might have come from different parts of the globe, but we've all come here today, I think, because we're recognizing that Jesus has made a difference in our life at some particular moment, and maybe uh, through uh, the course of our lives. Certainly, he has. So today means, as we sing uh, in O Holy Night, a new and glorious morning, the hopes of yesterday are here. And so we see the, the moment here. We don't, we don't have to fabricate joy by trying to relive that particular event because the joy is ours as we think about what today has meant for us. Today marks a change in salvation's plan. Previously, every baby that was born was fully human. You know that? And only human because we want to recognize if we're going to be in line with classical Christianity that Jesus was fully God and fully man, both fully God and fully man. And so he was fully human, but do you realize that he was also fully divine? So we have something unique happening in the incarnation is that God comes in flesh at a particular moment in history. And so when the angel says that you need to not have great fear, you need to have great joy because today everything changes. God has come to you. And he's Israel's God coming to his own people. And he's, he's the God who will make his name known to the ends of the earth coming to us. You can look at some of the background of uh, Isaiah's prophecy, but I think for this morning's message, we'll skip some of that. But uh, it's rich because one of the things that comes out of it is that the whole world was looking for power. And you know what God's answer was to that? A baby. A baby. Notice that great joy is the expected response here. Okay, so the angel appears and we see in verse 
8, the shepherds are all there. They're in their fields keeping watch over their flocks. And the angel of the Lord appears to them. And the glory of the Lord, the brightness, the magnificence, the splendor shone, has shone around them. And they're terrified or they feared with a great fear. And the expected response ought to be one of joy. Just like we would expect today that when we wake up on today as Christians, we ought to be joyful because of what today commemorates. I know, can I tell you a secret? We don't know if Jesus was actually born on December 25th. I don't know if you knew that, but we, we are celebrating Christmas on this day, and the world celebrates Christmas on this day, and some celebrate Christmas on January 6th, I know. But the majority, we're celebrating Christmas during this particular time. And as we do, if we woke up surly today and angry and grumpy because you're up all night wrapping gifts or whatever, anybody know what I'm talking about? Or if you woke up and you're like, I'm, I'm done with all the traffic and I'm done with all the snow and I'm done with all the people and the grumpiness. And if you felt that way, let me tell you the proper response, according to the word of God, is great joy. Okay, Can we challenge ourselves? Because we don't always respond to things the way that we should. And so, in fact, the angel here challenges their emotions as God breaks into that moment. He shows us a couple of things about ourselves, and the first one is that we're often surprised when we have supernatural encounters. Okay, I don't know if you've had a supernatural encounter or, or not. I'm, if you've been saved, you've actually had a supernatural encounter. You just maybe didn't recognize it as such. But sometimes there are times, and we see it in the Bible in particular, that supernatural events happen, and most of the time people are unprepared for them. The angel shows up, and almost unanimously, people are terrified by it. Have you seen that? Like always, the encouragement is, if it's the angel of the Lord or some other angel, always the encouragement is, fear not, fear not, fear not. I think over 500 times the Bible tells us not to fear. Not in a condemning, mean kind of way, but in the way that says, look, know your God. Know that he's got this under control. And so there's a fear that rises here, and we're often surprised, even though we've been praying for it, even though we've been desiring it, when God really shows up, we're often surprised by it. Uh, remember, one funny thing that comes to mind is in the book of Acts, they're praying for Peter to be delivered from prison, and the angel comes and kicks the door open and tells Peter, come along, and he gets out, and he goes to the door where the people are praying, and he knocks on the door, and a lady named Rhoda, not our Rhoda, but it's a different Rhoda, uh, showed up at the door, and she was surprised. She thought it was Peter's ghost. They're praying for his deliverance, but then they're surprised when the supernatural happens, and we often are. The second thing this kind of supernatural encounter, this encouragement shows us, is that we don't always respond in the right way. The Bible says in the NIV that they were terrified when they should have been joyful. And if we follow the Greek word for word, it means, uh, it says that uh, they feared with a great fear. They feared with a great fear. And the word for great is mega. Would you say with me mega fear? There was mega fear when the angel showed up. There was mega fear. And uh, they had to be told not to have fear, but to have great joy. Do you know what the word for great joy was? Mega. Mega joy. Mega fear. Mega joy. They got it wrong. 
It had to be told by God, just as sometimes we do when we don't know how to respond to what God is doing. And here I want to tell you in this moment, we may have different feelings about the Christmas time or, or what God's doing in the world or what he's doing in our life. We might be apprehensive about it. And the proper response is not great fear, it's great joy. And so here's what I often find challenging is that God has the right to challenge our emotions and tell us what the right ones are. And that we need to bring our emotions in, in alignment with what God is doing. So what do you think the shepherds did? Well, I don't know if maybe they continued to fear a little bit. But it seems that things begin to turn around at that moment. And they start to look towards the expectation of what he was doing. See, this moment calls for great or mega joy, not mega fear. Great joy is appropriate when we know that God, what he's up to. And this is the fulfillment of centuries of longing expectation. It's going to look different than some think, but it, in the end, it's going to be better than anyone dreamed. Let me talk to you about the second thing here, and that's the man. And it's uh, surprising to hear the word man because we're talking about the birth story here. By man, I'm referring to Jesus. And so I know it's weird to refer to him as man in this context, but when we're talking about his birth, we're talking about who he is, and we need to keep in mind the nature, uh, his nature and his work in the future. And so the joy here is all about the person being born. Okay, that's all about the, the person being born. Because when Jesus comes, he comes into a dark time. He comes into a moment when things are still in trouble, when it doesn't look like there's hope. When there's darkness, remember in Isaiah, the prophecy was the land that lives in darkness will see a great light. Galilee among the nations will see a great light. So there's an anticipation of something good coming in the middle of darkness. And so as we talk about him, we need to know that the joy that is called for, the mega joy, the great joy that we're being called to give or to show is that a person has been born. It's not just an event in salvation's history, though that's true. It's more than that. It's the person that's coming. You know, one of the things I get excited about with Christmas is not even the fact that December 25th is coming on the calendar. Like, oh, here we are, the 22nd, 23rd, and we can X off the day. We're at the 25th. What a wonderful... We don't get excited about that so much. What we get excited about is the person of Jesus. We get excited about the fact that our friends and our family are going to be hanging out with us. There's personal interaction. There's relationship in this. And so we're introduced now at this moment in the story to Jesus in the story of salvation. And we find out three things about him. And let me mention those quickly here. And we'll dwell on them a little more in a couple minutes. But... The first thing we see is that he's Savior. This ought to be a moment of great joy because a Savior has been born to you. Okay, There's been a lot of promises of salvation from a lot of quarters. In fact, one of the statements or titles that was used of the emperor was that he was Lord and Savior. Did you know that? The Roman emperor was at times called Savior. And people were looking to him to bring peace and security into their lives. And if they did, they were disappointed. Just like today, when we look at other people or other things to be our Savior, we're going to be disappointed. But this Savior can deliver. He makes a difference. And so we look to the Savior, Jesus, the one who saves. 
He saves us from our sins. He saves us from the oppression of the world, the flesh, and the devil. He saves us from death, our final enemy. He's our Savior. And we need to know that and proclaim that. And if we're trusting in anything else for our salvation, this is a challenge to that. Come on. Are you with me on that? Then the second thing it mentions is that he is Messiah or Christ. You probably know this, but Messiah comes from the Hebrew Mashiach, and it means the anointed one. And Christ comes from uh, the Greek uh, Creo, which means anointed. And so both Christ and Messiah mean the same thing. They mean the anointed one. So when we're talking about Messiah, we're talking about the one who is anointed. And anointed is a powerful symbol of God's choosing. He chooses. He chose to, to put upon Jesus all that could be hoped for in humanity. He put upon him. And he made him the one in which we trust. And certainly we know that as uh, anointed, there's much more to that than just stating like messianic claims, like he's the one that's going to come and be a great military leader, he's going to be a great political leader, or he's going to be a great healer. He's all of that. You, you, you understand? He's all of that. When he comes the first time, which is what we're talking about, he comes as the suffering servant, but he's coming again as the reigning king. And we need to grab a hold of that. That's exciting because we often think of Jesus as weak, and he's not weak. He's power under constraint. He's power with purpose. He's power constrained, coming through weakness for the salvation of souls, and he's God's choice. And then it says, he is Savior, Christ, anointed, the Lord. And this this, uh, word here has a lot of different implications to it, but one is king, the other is master, And the third one, which we might not expect, comes to us through the Hebrew tradition, Yahweh. Jesus as Yahweh. Jesus as God in flesh. So when we hear he's Lord, we understand him to be God in flesh. And we hear that also from Isaiah's prophecy, he is Emmanuel. At this moment, we're looking into he's a baby. And uh, I think it's interesting. All humans have to come in a fragile way, don't they? We talked about those babies don't cook their own eggs. And some babies don't even eat eggs because they're not old enough to. So don't take any instructions from my pictures here. That might be the wrong kind of thing if you tell the baby, go in and make your own food. That's, that's foolish, right? We know that babies are fragile. They need to be cared for. They need to be loved. They need to be fed. Uh, and all that goes with taking care of a fragile human. They've come in that way. And around this announcement is the dawning of a new hope. It might help us to appreciate the birth of Jesus, what it means. Do you realize the word that's used here when he says, I bring you good tidings. The angel says to the shepherds, I bring you good tidings. This is a phrase that's used of the announcement of the birth of an heir to Caesar. So Caesar has a child in the palace in Rome. They would say gospel, or they would use the the Greek equivalent of that or the Latin equivalent of that to refer to uh, good tidings or uh, evangelizing or I'm telling you great news about this. And so it would accompany that kind of thing. And so the expectations ran high for what the new emperor would bring. Of course, those hopes were always disappointed time after time because the emperor never failed to disappoint in one way or another. He taxed the empire into poverty to elevate a few, 
He used their sons to feed the war machine and, and all of this while promising peace and glory. See, one emperor would die and another emperor would rise in its place. And there was a sad cycle, just like maybe we feel new hopes about a certain election cycle, like this is going to really fix all the problems. And I want to encourage you, let's vote morally. Let's vote our conscience. Let's uh, do the best we can. But let's understand that our ultimate hope doesn't rest there. Come on, it rests with Jesus, doesn't it? That's who our Savior is. And we're looking to him. And so it might have looked like this a little bit in looking for the new uh, successor to the throne of David. The Old Testament scholar Alec Moiter says that the prophecies about the Messiah kept the people in constant expectation. They, They thought it might be today, it might be tomorrow, we will wait for it. The Old Testament taught the people of God to ask the question of every king, is this the messianic king? And of every prophet, is this the one Moses spoke about? And of every next threat, is this the day of the Lord? They were in constant expectation, waiting for the Messiah to come. Jesus' birth then uh, helps us to see and, and to call into question all other Messiahs. In whom will you put your hope? Who is it that will bring joy to your life? When hope is realized, you realize there's joy. And what I mean is that when our hope is finally breaking in. There's joy in that. I've been looking forward to this. Oh, how wonderful it is. And it will exceed expectations. God did more in Jesus than what anybody expected. No eye had seen, no ear had heard. It hadn't even entered the mind of people what God was going to do for those who love him. So the joy that we have here comes. I said before, people don't always have joy about the right kinds of things. But the joy comes when we're looking at we're looking for the right thing. It comes in response to faith and our faith needs to be in the person of Jesus and you may have experienced this when you came to trust in Jesus that joy filled your heart. I remember our college president telling us that he was preaching a series of meetings in Georgia and uh, he saw somebody who was older in years get get saved. They gave their heart to Christ. And he asked them, how was it? And they could articulate it really well. And then he asked this little girl, I think she was nine, if I remember right, how, how is it uh, coming to trust in Jesus? It feels so good. There's joy in knowing Christ. If you're from Georgia, I apologize. The third thing is the meaning. And this is in verse 10. It's great joy for all people. There are some instances for which we're ill-prepared because we don't know what they mean for us. And uh, that's often the case. I found myself at times looking back on what God's done in my life and finding that there was far more to it than I realized in the moment. Anybody with me on that? There was more God was doing than what I realized in the moment. Like when you're first coming to know Jesus, you don't realize all that that really means. You don't realize the joy and the companionship that goes with you day to day. You don't realize... The, the highs that there are in serving him and feeling that washing of water to come over our soul as we've been cleansed of our sins. We don't realize the joy of the community of the family of God. We weren't thinking about all of that. It's like we got this great gift and there was like the Whitman's box of samplers that comes with it. Anybody know what I'm talking about there? The joy of knowing 
Jesus. We don't always know all that comes with it, but it's better. Take my word for it. And if you don't want to take my word for it, how many here would agree with me? It's better than you expected. Go ahead. Lift your hand. Come on. I expect there to be more. All right. Serving Jesus is better than we expected. We don't know all the meaning that's there. Now, not everybody responded the way that they should have. Some continued to be afraid. Matthew 2, verse 3 tells us, Herod was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Uh, And I looked up disturbed because I like to be exact. And this word means acute emotional distress. It's not cute. It's acute. It's like intense emotional distress. Some will be disturbed because it leads to an end of the secular dream that we have in this world. To follow Jesus means that we're not banking our hopes on this life anymore. We've come to terms with the fact that this life, this world has nothing for us in the end. We need Jesus. Okay? So we're coming to trust in him. Some people are disturbed because they have to lose themselves. Some are bothered because they have to give up the throne to somebody else. But this is still a cause for great joy. The Greek here, when it says, I give you good tidings of great joy, is actually, I evangelize you with great joy. This is kind of an ironic statement of power. The words used, as we said, were used of the heirs of Caesar, a king of kings, born in a palace in Rome. Everything about the birth of Jesus is divine irony. Some say uh, Americans don't get irony anymore, but our comedy is filled with it. Okay, so... Think about this. It's when we expect one thing and we get another. So if I told you the next thing that comes through the door is going to be huge, and if a mouse came running through the door, we'd all laugh. Because that's ironic. We thought it was going to be one thing. It turns out it's something else altogether. Isn't there joy in the fact that the angels said to the shepherds, you're going to know this is the true king of kings, the true messianic king, when you find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth And lying in a manger, a feeding trough, that's irony. The king of the universe is going to be found in a feeding trough because there's not room for them in the end. You you hear what I'm saying? There's irony in that. The strips of cloth seem to suggest that they don't have a solid piece of cloth big enough that they can use for wrapping Jesus up. They have to use whatever scraps they can find. That suggests poverty for Mary and Joseph. Their gift at the temple suggests poverty because they don't give the normal gift. They give the two turtle doves. That's the poor, pe- that's the poor person's offering. Everything is ironic about Jesus' birth. The power players of the day, they don't go out to see him. Who do we got? Shepherds. Jesus dignified shepherds. In that day, shepherds were a little bit lower. David formed dignified shepherds, but... They were considered kind of like those people that smell like sheep out there. Those people. They find him laying in a manger. They didn't have enough to wrap him up. And the feeding trough means that Jesus was laid in a place that normally holds hay for the animals. Poverty, not luxury. But isn't this the fitting way for God to show his power? Think about this. We've heard the story so many times, we, not, we might not appreciate these details, how they would have impacted the first years. The sign 
would have been unusual because of the placement of Jesus. He's in a manger. The sign would have been apparent because of the size of the town. They would have known there's somebody staying here, and they're out-of-towners. They've come to register. Their, their family's from here, but they, they have a Galilean accent. And the sign would have been ironic because of its poverty. Can you imagine Christians in Rome years later that they've come to believe in Jesus, and they're telling their friends, the king of all kings is Jesus. And he was born in an animal annex, placed in a feeding trough on the edge of the Roman Empire. Oh, also, he died on a cross and was accused of sedition against Rome. If you think it's hard to tell people about Jesus in today's climate, imagine telling Romans that in Rome. It's not Caesar who's king and Lord, it's Jesus. And that's exactly the message that came through on the edge of the Roman Empire. Not only did they tell people about Jesus, he realized that people came to him in hordes, even in Rome. See, this does two things. This identifies Jesus as a people's king, born among the commoners, and it shows that God flexes his muscle through weakness. It brings to mind how a little child will lead them. God planned for the salvation of all through Jesus. Salvation's story has moved to a new high because God came into his own creation. It's the best story ever, and it happens to be true. See, I don't, I don't want to talk you into the joy today. I was thinking, how can I tell you how joyous this is? And I realized when I came to the end of my study, I realized how futile it was to do that. I can't tell you joy. You have to experience it. And the only way you can experience it is by coming into relationship with Jesus. There's joy there. You can take my word for it. You can enter in and experience it for yourself. I would encourage you to taste and see that the Lord is good. I can't just give you mere description. There's only joy in the experience of Jesus coming. For those who put their full trust in Christ, there's great joy. He's fixed life's biggest problems. You realize that, that we still have problems as Christians. Nobody's claiming we don't. But the biggest problems in life are already settled. Think about this. What is life about? We have meaning when we know God. We know him through Jesus. What, what about my guilt and the things that I've done wrong? Well, we have a promise that God has taken care of that in Christ. What happens to us when we die? We know that Christ has, been, has given us resurrection life. And we will defeat death because of him. And so I would encourage you today, enter in and experience the joy of the Lord. Hey, thanks for your gracious attention on this Christmas morning. Stand with me if you would. Let's take a moment uh, to reflect upon this and to respond. Why don't we, why don't we take a moment and bow our heads and let's give, uh, let's give the Lord our attention as we uh, bring our service to a close here. Have you put your hope in Christ? He's the reason that we're celebrating today. He expresses to us God's will, His way into relationship with Him, the way to be forgiven of our sins. He's the answer to our deepest problems. If you haven't yet met Christ, you can today. I would encourage you to pray a prayer like this. God, be merciful to me, a sinner, because of Jesus. 
That's a simple prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner, because of Jesus. And then we're putting our confidence in him because he not only lived the sinless life, but he died and he rose again. He's demonstrated he's Lord of life. And we can have a present relationship because we're not serving a dead Savior. We're serving a risen Savior and Lord. If you have made a commitment to Christ, you put your hope in him. You should have joy today because of Jesus. I know maybe you're frustrated with the way that things have gone this holiday season. Maybe you've not had enough time. Uh, things have been disappointed, some of the plans that you've set. Maybe any, anything could be the reason, or maybe it's just one more time on the calendar. Um, and if it, if, if it feels that way, I would encourage you, there's reason for great joy. It doesn't have to be in some of the secular trappings like Santa Claus and Christmas trees and the busyness of shopping for presents, but it should be in Jesus. How many are you're a little tired of secular platitudes during Christmas? You want some substance to your hope. I sure do. I don't want to I don't want to play some kind of empty game of clichés where we try to make meaning out of nothing. But if there's something here, there's a reason. There's a reason to have hope and joy. And there is. I'm going to invite you if you'd like to come. Uh, Zach and Janie are going to play. And Renita are going to play here a couple of Christmas songs for us. And if you'd like to respond today in a couple ways, one is that if you'd like to invite Christ into your life and put your trust in him, I'd invite you to come to the altar. This is our altar here, our steps. If you'd like to come kneel here and pray, would you say yes to Jesus? I want to put my trust in you and be merciful to me. Maybe you want to say, you and as an individual or you as a family, you're already trusting in Christ and you want to say to him, thank you. Thank you for giving me hope and joy. And it would be great to come to this place of prayer and spend a few moments with the Lord. You could do that individually or as a family if you like. But let's say to the Lord today, thank you for giving us hope. If you do come to trust in Christ today or you pray that prayer and you're welcoming the Lord into your life, would you please uh, find me afterwards? I'd love to talk to you and encourage you, pray for you personally. But we want to take a few moments to meet with God before we go. Amen. Amen. God is so great that he can conquer through weakness. Aren't you thankful for that? Like, how did he, how did he conquer the world? By submitting himself to a cross. Man, what a God we serve. He doesn't have to lift his little finger to do the heavy lifting. You understand what I mean by that? That he is powerful enough that he can conquer through a baby coming into the world. Thank the Lord. Man, he's probably, I imagine he's conquered your soul. He has mine. Hasn't he? That it's made a difference in who you are because of your trusting in Christ. Man, if you don't have it today, I hope you'll leave this place, or you haven't had it today. I hope you'll leave this place with great joy because of what God's done. Mega joy. Tell your neighbor, mega joy. Make a joy. That's what we want today because of what Jesus has done. Thank you for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, we would love to hear about it. You're welcome to message us at akmaranatha.com forward slash contact or message us on Facebook at Maranatha Full Gospel Fellowship. We pray you are blessed by the message and have a wonderful week.